So a brief review of last week, and uh, as it was announced, we're in a series, if you're joining us for the first time, uh, Reset, Refresh, and Refocus. And, and just a brief definition, so reset, that is to set again or to set differently. Dictionary uh, definition, refresh, to give new strength to or to reinvigorate, revive, refocus, to adjust one's focus or to focus on something new, right? And so what I talked about last week, we are going through the book of Philippians, at least for my time here, I'm really reviewing huge chunks of the book. And I do apologize for those of you who are taking notes. I, I haven't arranged this into, you know, sort of here are three points right now. Um, I'm not doing that in this series, but what I'm hoping to do, if I can do justice to the text, I do believe this text does bring out significant truths about our topic. And so I'm hoping that as we look at the life of this church and Paul's dealing with them, we can see how this is being lived out. And then also uh, how we can apply that to our lives. So a brief review, Paul is in prison. Mind you, he's in prison in Rome and he's writing to encourage the church. And you hear him, he's, he holds very deep affection for this church. He loves them. He planted this church. Um, and they hold deep affection for him. They greatly supported him, not only just in ministry, but also physically. They supplied his needs and so on. So he's got a very close bond with them. They partner with him in the gospel. And this church is facing growing challenges, external pressures, opponents, and I'll talk about that momentarily. Uh, they're very concerned about Paul. Uh, but as I highlighted last week, Paul begins to shift their thinking. These are people who are founded on the gospel. They've received the gospel. But like all of us, we, we will experience challenges to our faith life circumstances, persecution, and so on. So this is what this church is facing, and Paul is writing to encourage them. So as they are concerned about his chains, he's imprisoned, but Paul gives them a different perspective, and maybe different than one we might think. Um, you see where his posture is, where his heart is, what his focus is. Although he's in a bad situation, he assures them that his chains, his, his imprisonment, it's actually in Christ. It's for the advancement of the gospel. And in fact, because he is in prison, it has in fact emboldened other believers to proclaim the faith more boldly. So he's showing them, hey, I know you're concerned about me, but let me show you another picture. The gospel is being advanced. And what we learned last week Paul's whole posture, to live is Christ and to die is gain. As I mentioned last week, Paul is completely consumed by Christ. Christ is the one who motivates his life, his getting up in the morning. Jesus is the reason he gets up, the reason he sleeps, the reason he does what he does. And he assures them, listen, if I'm in prison or if I die or... If I go on living, Christ will be glorified. His entire life is built on Jesus. And the question that I put to all of us is, are we consumed by Jesus in the same way? Does Jesus motivate our lives? And I'll talk a little bit more 
about that. Reset, refresh, and refocus. So our main passage for today, uh, continuing in Philippians, chapter 1, verses 27, and we're going to read through chapter 2, verses 18. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing of the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit, of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God or in the form of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature or form of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death or until death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledged that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the Father. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad glad and rejoice with me. This is the word of the Lord. So beginning with verse 27, Paul starts off by challenging the believers to walk worthy of the gospel. And you see this out, and uh, this comes up a lot in his letters where Conduct yourselves in a particular manner as believers. And one thing that's interesting is he's clearly like a father to them. 
you know, because he says to them, listen, whether I come or I'm absent, I want to hear <laughs> some good news. This kind of reminded me of my own childhood <laughs> when I was, let's say, in the vehicle with my parents and we're on the way to a friend's house and my parents are going to drop us off. And on the way, we would get a talking to. My parents would say things like, be on your best behavior. Things like, now I don't want to hear a bad report. You know you've been trained. You know you've been taught how to act. So don't let me hear you cut up or that you act in a fool. And so I can hear that as I read Paul because this is how dearly he holds them. Like, I've taught you, I've instructed you in the gospel, and there's an expectation for you to live that out. Or as he says, walk worthy, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. I'll unpack that in a little bit, but what you're seeing and what he starts getting at is their behavior, this was a solid church, they held to the gospel, but there are some issues in the church. There are some conflicts among them, and he's trying to sort this out. And, and when you look at verse 28, he talks about those who oppose them. So this church was dealing with some external pressure, internal conflicts, but also external conflicts. So, so it, it, it seems like it was some sort of false doctrine, um, those who were challenging their faith in Christ. Now, Paul had always dealt with that, always folks that were challenging the gospel. And how many of you know that if you are in Christ and you want to follow him, that all who desire to live godly in this world will suffer persecution? Right? It is a guarantee. So, but whatever was happening, this external group, it was causing tensions inside. <laughs> the church. Now, I don't know if some of these opposers infiltrated the church or if it was simply people in the church were being influenced by them and they were bringing these different ideas in the church and it was causing problems and conflict. So, Paul is just kind of like putting the brakes on this for right now and said, hold up, walk worthy of the gospel. So this is a faith that has been communicated to them, and for whatever reason, they're allowing these outside voices to disrupt that truth. Their focus is wrong, where they're allowing whoever these voices are to now begin to dictate how they operate. And so he challenges them and cautions them, like, listen, don't be afraid of these opponents. Don't be intimidated by them, which brings up a question for us. I mean, I'd mentioned before, we are going to deal with talent, uh, challenges, we're going to deal with persecution, but the deeper question is, what are you or what are we allowing to block our view of Christ? Mind you, things are going to challenge our faith. That is a promise but I'm asking a deeper question, a different question that requires something of us. What are we allowing to block our view of Christ? That's a different question. That's a different posture. Yes, life is going to happen. Persecution is going to come. 
But that's more of an internal issue. What are we allowing to block that view of Christ? What are we allowing to dictate how we are going to function and behave? When life's challenges come, are we allowing those things to dictate the words that come out of our mouths, the thoughts that we think, and the behavior that we demonstrate? And there's this tone, this underlying tone that have you really accepted the gospel? Because as you can see, this is a fight. And as I'm reading the text, it's almost like Paul is saying, like, why, why are you acting? Why are you afraid? Why are y'all acting scared? Why are you letting these voices dictate how you're going to be? He goes further into chapter 2, verse 1. We ask this question. Well, actually, no, not this question, but this statement. And then I'll, I'll give you my, my translation. Let me go back to you and read, and read it. He says, therefore, if you, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, any comfort from his love, any common sharing in the spirit, any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded. Now, he just told them before, listen, Y'all acting scared. I don't know why you're surprised. Get this. Verse 29. It has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. So y'all acting surprised that y'all getting this sort of opposition. Let me remind you, and Paul's always, always relating it to his situation, like you're going to deal with this. Life is going to happen. Persecution is going to come. Trials are going to come that are going to make you feel weary. There's no denying that. But let me offer you another perspective. You see, for Paul, his focus isn't on the trouble. He's looking at something else. 2 verse 1, therefore, if if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Now, let me give you um, the TLW translation of that, uh, TLW, those are my, my initials. Um, so if, you, if you'd like a copy of that translation, I don't have it in print right now, but um, let, me, let me just give this for you. So, so if you've truly been impacted by Christ, if you truly experience comfort from his love and being united with him, if there's truly fellowship with the Spirit, as you say you have, then act like it. If you have this fellowship, if there's encouragement from being united with Christ, that's got to motivate your behavior. If you believe this gospel, life is going to happen. Yeah, that's not the main thing. Where's your focus right now? 
Do you believe this gospel? Yes. Are you comforted by the Spirit? Yes. Is there fellowship with the Spirit in one another? Yes. Act like it. Y'all acting scared. You're letting others dictate how you're going to be. You're letting life circumstances dictate how you're going to be. Let's refocus right now. You're letting your job loss dictate how you're going to be, your posture. You're letting sickness dictate your posture. You're letting the fact that you're being ridiculed and despised by some people dictate your posture. Let's bring this back. You united with Christ, and are you encouraged by that? Let's live into it. So what he's getting at in Paul's whole posture when life tends to life is what motivates me and what is going to dictate our behavior. And so Paul obviously doesn't just scold them, but now he gives them, here's what you need to be about. Right? So it's not just, hey, leave this alone. It's do this. Y'all allowed these folks to get in your head and cause all kinds of division. You can see this was their problem. Now, when you read his other letters and other churches, they're dealing with different issues. But you can see there was division among them. That's the main issue he's going for. You're not of the same mind. You're bickering and arguing and fighting. Be of the same mind. Why? Well, there's unity in Christ. You've all said you've been convinced by this gospel. Yes. Here's what I need you to do. Fulfill my joy. Be like-minded. Be on the same page. Value and serve each other. Verse 3, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. He's resetting their perspective, refocusing. This is a solid church. They've been doing good, but we need to come back to the foundation. And here's what I love, and I'm going to spend some time here. So let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus. So in your relationships with one another, have this mindset. And this is what I love about Paul. He always brings it back to Christ as the foundation. This is your go-to. This is your pattern. How do you know how to operate? Here's how you know. Verse 6, who, being in very nature God, in the form of God. For one, Paul deals with the deity of Jesus Christ. Paul, in all of his letters at different points, he always gives uh, or takes the time to deal with the proper Christology. That's a proper understanding of Jesus, his identity, and what he came to do. And he starts off talking about, remember this, Jesus, 
being in the form of God. Now, he just told them, like, do nothing out of vain conceit. But now let's consider Jesus. Jesus, who has every right to boast. Jesus, who has all power and all authority and has every right to claim it. But what does he do with his power? He did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own uh, advantage or robbery with God or uh, uh, something to be grasped or held onto, but rather he made himself nothing or he emptied himself, being made in human likeness. So by taking the form of a servant. So we've got his deity. And now we've got his humanity. So I love how Paul is dealing with not only Jesus' posture, but he's dealing with theology too, core theology. Let's remember who we're dealing with. All right, Jesus, God in flesh and being found in appearance as a man, what does he do? He humbles himself. And he became obedient to death. And because of this, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. What Paul gives them is the motivation for our humility. He tells this church, stop acting scared, stop letting these opposers dictate how you're gonna be, and here's how you need to be, but that's not enough. You need some deeper motivation for living this out. And he brings it back to Jesus Christ. Remember, for Paul, Jesus is his life. And so he keeps bringing things back to Jesus, his posture, who he is. And that brings up the question for you and I. In every area of our lives, in every circumstance, are we bringing it back to Jesus? Yeah. Is Jesus the focal point? Is Jesus the compass pointing north every single time? When life shows up, is Jesus the one that I reference, that I go to, that I look to, to say, what does God say about this situation? I may, not have impact, I may not have dealt with this situation in life before, but what does my Lord say about this? Not what does the culture and how does the culture tell me how to deal with this. What does my Lord say about this? Is Jesus our go-to? Remember I asked you last week, you know, are we visiting Jesus or are we resting in him? I want us to know there's a big difference. Is Jesus your go-to? I didn't say, are you going to church every Sunday? How many of you know you can be here every Sunday and miss Jesus? You can be here and doing all of the right things that Christians are supposed to do and still miss Jesus. But is Jesus our go-to? 
going back to my childhood, and my dad would always, always say this to my brothers and I, like, who's your daddy? Who am I? Do you remember who I am? Why, he would say that typically when we would bring in other ideas that were not a part of our house, that he did not instruct us in. <laughs> I didn't teach you that. You're saying stuff I didn't teach you. Who's your father? Who's your mother? Who are your parents? Who do you obey? And so as I see Paul as, as like a, he holds them like dear children, that's what he keeps bringing them back to, that foundation. And if you, if you hear what I'm saying, this, I'm actually kind of going through what we've been talking about this year. If you go through all the sermon series and back to the basics and rooted and grounded in the deep work of the spirit and spiritual disciplines and all of those things are dealing with the same thing is what is our go-to as followers of Jesus. And even back to that earlier question, this image of Jesus that is being presented, I mean, I, I'm assuming you realize that this is a Jesus that you can't fit in your back pocket. You can't fit him in your purse. You can't fit him in your book bag. This is a Jesus that you and I can't control. Verse 9, therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Now, if I were in uh, one of the churches I grew up in, I couldn't even finish this statement. <laughs> because all I would have to say is at the name of Jesus, and the church would lose its mind. And then I could even get a little uh, uh, melodic in my voice to say, at the name of Jesus. Y'all didn't hear me. I said, at the name of Jesus. That's what the preacher would sound like, at the name of Jesus. I don't care what situation you're going through, but at the name of Jesus, you might be going through some challenges, but at the name of Jesus, I may not be feeling good in my body, but every knee will bow. I had to have a little fun with you, but, but, but I love this point because there's our refocus again. This Jesus doesn't sound like the community activist to me. This Jesus doesn't sound like just the good teacher to me. This Jesus doesn't sound like just your friendly neighborhood guy who likes to smile and give you a hug. This is the Jesus, God in flesh, who lowered himself for us, humbled himself for us, and now he holds all power. Now, Place yourself in this church, in the surrounding culture that says Caesar is Lord. Caesar holds all power. Can you imagine being in that 
environment that what Paul is saying here, this theology, is fighting words. Because remember earlier, he said, I want you to live worthy of the gospel. In other words, live like you believe this is true. And so I'm going to ask us this morning, do you believe in that Jesus? Do we believe in this Jesus? Is this the Jesus that I am preaching, that my life is preaching? Is this the Jesus that got up from the grave? Do I believe that Jesus? Or have I constructed another Jesus that I control? That's a big question that we've got to wrestle with, and, and, and we might even need to be honest with ourselves. Have I fashioned a Jesus? You see, Paul relates, uh, he brings this up as he's telling the church, hey, this, you need to behave this way, but pattern after Jesus. But he, he lays out who Jesus is. He's not just this good guy. He's our Lord. His name is above every name. And at his name, every knee is going to bow. And you need to understand the scope of this Jesus. He says it here in verse 10, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Let me qualify that. In heaven and on earth and under the earth, all of creation, the living and the dead, everybody's going to bow to him. That's the Jesus we preach. So let's take this image of Jesus. He said, pattern yourselves after Jesus. Let this mind be in you, this humility you need to walk in. And take that back to verse 3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. So what that says to me is, if this is the Jesus that I serve and truly believe in, it means that I can love you and you can love me. He's saying to the church, y'all can get this right. <laughs> Whatever schism, this is light work. Y'all can sort this out because remember who we serve, so let this mind be in you that was in Jesus. In fact, you don't even have a right to be boastful or, or full of conceit. Let's look at the one who has all the rights, and he humbles himself. It means that I can forgive you and you can forgive me. Why? This Jesus who we serve. And look at how he humbles himself for us. I can serve you and you can serve me. See, Paul isn't even concerned about the opponents. He's concerned about y'all, your life with Christ. Forget about the pressures on the outside. This is about you. Are you really believing this gospel? Your life got to show it. I need to refocus you this morning. 
to cut out the gossip and the backbiting. Why? Look at our Lord and what he did for us. I can serve you. You can serve me. We can forgive each other. We can work things out. Why? We're all called to have this same mindset. And it is a daily reality. Remember, to live is Christ. This is a daily reality. So think of it this way. Every morning you get up. Let me go back to this image of Jesus. If you could put that up, starting at verse 6. Every morning you get up. What we have here from verses 6 through 11, this right here is a pattern for our lives. Every morning we get up. Asked just earlier, what dictates our lives? What motivates us? This Jesus. God in flesh, lowered himself, died, rose again, has a name above every name. That's the Jesus you and I serve. So that means every morning, let it be our posture. This is who my life is to be patterned after. This Jesus is the one who dictates the words that come out of my mouth. This Jesus is the one who's going to dictate what I do with my life, my body, and so on. This Jesus is the one who dictates how I'm going to look at the circumstances I'm in. And the guy who's saying this isn't blowing hot smoke. This is Paul who's in prison for the gospel, but yet remember his posture. And he concludes, wraps this up. I love this in verse 12. Therefore, my dear friends, as you, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. In other words, you have this gift of salvation. Now you and I are responsible to live it out. And do so with fear and trembling. You hear Paul saying, using these words of Lot. And, and, and that deals with having this holy reverence and respect for God. God's power, God's truth, God's character, God's heart. All of those things work out your salvation. Live it out. This is important because this mind of humility that he's telling them, we each individually have to live that out. I can't do this for you, and you can't do it for me. As a body of Christ, we're all coming. If we say we love him, if we say we serve him, we all agree to those things. Then this is where Paul is saying have the same mind. You all got to be on the same page. You all have to have the same commitment. Now, we might have to recognize maybe we don't all have the same commitment, that's okay. I believe we can get there. And sometimes we need a reset <laughs> to be reminded of that. He goes on further in verse 13. Get this. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. So there's the call of how we are to live out this faith, but we don't do it alone. It is God at work in you. So when I realize I've got Jesus as this model, 
and Christ that has empowered us by his spirit. That gives us confidence to say we can live this thing. That gives us a certain confidence that when life happens, life is not what moves me. Paul, my being in prison is not what moves me. This is what moves me is Jesus. I come back to that question, do you believe that Jesus? It is God who works in us. He says earlier in chapter 1, verse 5, that he who began a good work in you will perform it to the day of Christ. We've got this beautiful promise of people who live out the gospel that God is going to complete the work. Now, that doesn't mean we sit idly. That doesn't mean we do nothing. <laughs> no, we have a choice to make. We have to make choices. We have to do things. But we don't do it in our own strength. That's the point. Verse 14, do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. Paul says this a lot just as he says, conduct yourselves. If you're convinced of this truth, if you and I believe this truth, then I want to challenge us this morning, hold to it. In that lies the fight. You hold this gospel, but you got to fight for it. Yeah. So we've been saying throughout as this church is dealing with things that are trying to move them from the gospel. The reminder is, you've been convinced of the gospel. This gospel is dear to you. Now I need you to fight for it. I need you to hold on it, hold on to it with everything you have. It doesn't just happen. You and I, individually and corporately, have to take this word, this truth of who Jesus is, and it has to become real every day. Don't think that Paul didn't wrestle and struggle, but look at his posture. And that's what I'm asking us to do. Where's your posture this morning? Cece, you can roll. You can come on up. Because we're going to prepare for uh, communion. Where's your posture this morning? Look to Jesus this morning. And you and I have this truth that we're holding to. But we have this choice. Will you choose to make this truth everything? Will it become real in our lives?
You know, I, I just love this story because it should remind us of us. Even though Paul is writing specifically to this church, it should bring up some things that are familiar to us. But I want to center back on those verses, verses 6 through 11, of Jesus being our model. And even as we come to the table today, this is what we are reflecting on. We're reflecting on a gospel that is not built on us, but we're looking to Jesus who is the author and finisher of our faith. But it's important for us every day to activate that truth in our lives. No one can do it for us. So we can just take a moment, however you see fit, which is bow your head, close your eyes. And let's just take inventory this morning. And looking unto Jesus as our pattern who gave his life for us and calls us to walk worthy of this gospel. First of all, let's, let's recognize, do we, is that a Jesus? Is that the Jesus we serve? Or have I fashioned another one? And I just want to create space. If this is a space you need to repent, then do that. A space you need to reflect, please do that. But we come to this table this morning remembering exactly what Jesus did for us. Remembering his commitment to us. But when we take communion, we're not only recognizing Christ's commitment to us, but also our commitment to him. Like Paul has said in other letters, as he says in this one, we participate with Christ. We are in Christ and Christ is in us. He talks deeply about this fellowship that we have with Christ, sharing in his death that as he died to sin, so too we are dead to sin. And as he rose from the dead, we also are raised to new life. So as we remember Jesus on the night that he was betrayed, that he took the bread and he broke it, he said, Take and eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. And then he took the cup. He said, this is the new covenant in my blood that is shed for you. We come to the table not because we must, but because we may.
we come recognizing that Jesus gave his all. And likewise, we give our all to him.